this is why we have to ask these questions yeah. because we've already made an essentialist statement about who that person is as they approach me, right? We're done as a society. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. We're yeah. done. And we cannot get there unless we open a larger aperture in our hearts and our souls and our minds, yeah. right? Yeah. And we've got, and we need better equipment for it. Mm. So part of the thesis for the book is we need a spiritual discipline of asking questions. And it's been left off the table in the in the in the ranking of spiritual discipline, mm. which is strange, mm. right? Richard Foster, update yeah. your book. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, seriously. Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Macy. Welcome to episode number 53. Now, we have done episodes in the past on ASMR, and today (laughs) we're sitting outside on a front porch and you might hear some cars going by. Maybe that will provide some ASMR tingles. (laughs) Maybe it'll be distracting and anger inducing, but yeah, here comes Macy with her ASMR sounds. Okay, so this episode we are titling Live the Questions. Live the Questions. And it is an interview, y'all, so welcome to A really good interview. We're giving you just an intro to the interview. Live the Questions. Does this sound interesting? Um, Okay, so our interview guest tonight is uh, Professor Jeff Cuse. Jeffrey F. Cuse, as it says on the cover (laughs) of his book. Uh, Apparently he's written like eight books. I I, I was sad at the beginning where I said, oh, you've written three books, and then he listed off all his books, and I was like, oh. Whoops, more books. Sorry, that was offensive. But um, he's a professor at Seattle Pacific University, where Macy and I both graduated from. And he was also a professor at Fuller Seminary, where I graduated from. And I had Dr. Cuse as a Fuller student, not as an SP student. Yeah, yeah. And you had him as an SP Yeah, student. I took one class with Dr. Cuse. As, I took a, a Youth Ministry and Cultures class. Mm. I forget what it was officially titled, but... He, 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 he likes talking about culture. He likes specifically talking about pop culture. And he likes talking about how pop culture and theology merge. And mm-hmm. that is, in, a, in some ways, my love language. And so I, I don't remember the title of the class, but I took a similar course at Fuller. And this was probably like eight years ago yeah. where, you know, we're talking about the Bible and rap music, the Bible and movies, the Bible and, you know, musicals and um, how that connects. And it was so um, fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely, like, the class that I took in terms of youth culture was, like, a broad range of different art medias mm-hmm. that we encountered to try and understand youths. What are youths up to? We listened youths. to, we listened to uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana Oh, see, class. yeah. <laughs> you, what you just said made me think of My Cousin Vinny. Have you seen My Cousin Vinny? No. So there'll be listeners that know what I'm talking about, but there's a great scene at the end where he says, youths, uh, youths. And the judge says, youths, youths. <laughs> Some people know what I'm talking about, but it's really good. It's a classic scene. They're laughing youths, right now. Yeah. Um, so he he's a really dynamic communicator. Like, mm-hmm. I think we discovered post-episode, he stuck around and talked to Enneagram with us. Yeah. And I think we discovered that he's an Enneagram 8. And I, we're not typing it. In. He's been owning it. He's been <laughs> posting on his social media. Macy w- did like a, uh, we, we, we like to think that someday we'll be Enneagram coaches slash retreat leaders and whatever shrugs, up, shrugs but we're cheap. doing it <laughs> and macy has made a painting that is a really great depiction of the enneagram and she went over all the numbers in a really detailed way i was inspired but um yeah we think he's an eight which i think you'll see that energy coming out uh, oh, so yeah. as a guest he brought like a poppy energetic uh confident 
you know, we didn't have to guide him that much. Yeah. So I, what you're about to get into is a nice, um, a it's rich. Up it's rich. rich. There's a lot of information. Yeah. Um, and the book that we're like discussing live the questions is a book that Q's wrote. Um, that is very in line with our curious mindset. Yes. Live the questions. That's important to say. Um, it feels su- super linked to just like our motto of being less certain, mm-hmm, being mm-hmm, more curious. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that's one of the things we wanted to say Like in terms of continuing to put out some energy and some vibes. And this, we did an episode on curiosity trying to say this is what we're about. But also if you listen to a lot of the things Jeff Q says in this episode, this is what we're about. Yeah. In some ways, he's yeah. probably saying it a little bit better than we've said so far. Or as we're listening, we're, we're thinking, articulated. this is what we want to be about. <laughs> and there, there's, some, there's a sense of like asking the questions, but it, from a place of rootedness or a yeah. place of, um, you could say, faith or spirituality. And uh, this gives a lot of great language to that. Well, yeah. And lives the, Live the Questions refers to specific questions yeah. that he proposes. So mm-hmm. it's really fascinating the direction he takes it. We say. do like silly questions. Like we do like, what are phones? What are sports? You know, and, and that's just kind of playful. I think yeah. there's there should be a playfulness to our question asking yeah. sometimes. But then we do ask big questions like what 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 role do kids play in, lo- in our lives? Like uh, what role does art play in our daily lives? lives and yeah what yeah. Uh, how do we approach scripture how do we approach ourselves you know yeah. the enneagram is a great tool for curiosity about ourselves so um yeah i think uh he shows how uh, we can ha- we can be a, a lot more and it's actually really important to be a lot more curious about the bible in particular in our in our faith so uh, i think to to lead us into this episode we probably talked too much um i'm gonna read a, a little quick section from his book side note (laughs) here i go talking a lot but we got we got a negative review that said we don't get to the point but our the point is the conversation that is the point (laughs) we're not trying to like lead you to a main point uh sometimes maybe we do have points but uh this week we got balanced out with two good reviews we're not going to read them now maybe we'll read them next week yeah so thank you thank you for the writing reviews reviews if you enjoy this itunes go to itunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts you can review on other platforms yes Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're now uh, on Spotify, everyone. We are on Spotify. I don't think we've said that on air before, but we are. And we're proud of that. Okay, here comes a little quote. This is right after he quotes a psalm. I can't see what a psalm it is right here, but um, so you'll see him reference the psalm. But um, uh, So think about this as we're heading into this episode. This is He does talk about frames. So this frames the episode, gets you excited about what you're about to hear. As human beings, we are the embodiment of questions. We ask them all the time, seeking, searching, exploring, plunging to the depths of things because we want to know more. We want to understand, to probe, to dig deeper. The psalmist finds that to be human means not only to ask questions, but essentially to be a question, one that is directed directly towards God. We question things. All of creation lays forth God's glory, but humans stand back and think, We pause to ponder what we see. The psalmist wonders, who are we? And we wonder, who is God? Part of the journey of life is coming to grips with our identity as question askers and learning to see and hear our questions as strengths, not weaknesses. What are the good questions we should be asking? And how has scripture equipped us to ask good questions of each other and of God? So... 
that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. We really know that you will enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jeff Cuse. Maybe you won't, but we we hope and we think and uh, we give this to you as a gift. Okay. Blessings. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Jeff in the house. This is very exciting. A warm summer night. A warm summer night. It's like 80 degrees. And like we, it is beautiful. This beautiful. is what Seattleites dream about. Yes, we do. It is. We, I we do. suffer for this all year. <laughs> we do. And, and, we, we, and we tell people it's a lie so they don't come move here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's sure. right. But it is beautiful tonight. It's gorgeous. It is dusk and yeah. it's uh, coming down. No, it's actually, it's, uh, it's still fun. sunny out it's and it sunny. is 710. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. We're heading up on solstice, which means that we can all get real and get on bicycles mm-hmm. very soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Line bikes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. It's good. The thing I worry about is uh, like if all of a sudden Orcas Island or one of those started getting super populated and turned into a city of some kind, that's when yeah. I start to get really worried. Yeah. Is it going to happen? You need to choose new anxiety. Okay. <laughs> anxiety. There's a lot of other issues in the world to care about. <laughs> that's what I'm really worried about. If that's one of them, I want you to kick that off that's your list. I mean, I got to show you some uh, Nat Geo sites if you're worried about that. Oh, that's so good. Oh, it's true. All right. We're, Jeff has written a book recently called Jeff Live the Questions. Jeff has written more than one book. This is his True. most recent. <laughs> yeah. Live the questions. Blur. Your neighbor's hymnal. Okay. Anything else? Uh, the Poetics of Jesus, the, the Church for Christ in the Jesus. 19th Century. Jeez, the Sacred okay. and the Profane. Oh, my god. Contemporary gosh. Issues in Hermeneutics. Um, I think I read that. Wow. Well, if you took that's that's, that's, a, that's a, a pretty deep dive. That's maybe a, maybe yeah, I have. That's then. an intense. Yeah. It's maybe a, I've read it, some quotes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great. Uh, it's a great uh, way to kind of deal with sleep. Issues, oh, so it'll put you to sleep. Oh, it's very dense book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, but live okay. the questions. Yes, yeah. is, is my latest book. Okay. That's right. So like eight books? Uh, about six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So um, we've already done an intro theoretically. So True. we're here to get into Jeff's story, but we really want to hear about what um, inspired you to write this book. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks. And also thanks to Scott and Macy for having me tonight and this lovely room and with these <laughs> lovely people. So and it's, it's great to talk about this. Um, so as, as, as Scott and Macy may have mentioned in the intro, uh, I am a university professor. Uh, it's one of my hats that I wear. Uh, I also, in the past, have been a pastor in churches. I've served in congregations in the United States and also in Scotland as part of the Church of Scotland. I was also on faculty of the University of Glasgow, so I was in Britain for a number of years. Um, And in my 30 years in higher education and my time in working in nonprofits, I I worked in healthcare for a time. I also worked in social service agencies. Um, One of the things that kept coming up and continues to come up is a strange polarity between questions and searching for certainty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in uncertain times, people will grab for the most solid thing in the room, and that's often kind of philosophically and ideologically a, a thing of certainty. This is the way things mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. To relieve my tensions, to relieve uh, my sense of stress, just tell me the answers. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the beginning of the book, in the intro, I begin with that statement, just give me the answers, because that... Yep. Every quarter I've taught and every semester I've taught at other schools, one student and student evaluations in some way, shape, or form will say, I came into this class trying to get answers. And as a theologian, as somebody who does critical theory, I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, We live in a complex time. People have hardships. They have questions of pain and suffering. And the last thing they want is more questions. Um, 
And so as I began to wrestle with that issue, mm-hmm. um, I really began to look at, okay, now what is the Bible about? What is human? What are human endeavors about? Mm-hmm. And what I found is that the more that we seek after certainty, our world gets smaller and God gets smaller. The more that I try to find answers, yes. the more yeah. I try to buckle things up, uh, the world gets very small. But the more that I ask questions, the more that I'm, I'm interrogated by others, the more that people critique me, the more that I listen to input from other voices, my world gets bigger. Yeah. Uh, I get surprised. I get humbled. I get fascinated. I have wonder. Um, and so I, then I started to interrogate the Christian scriptures, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, and started to see, you know, what is this book about? Is it about answers? Mm. And I, I found out that actually it's a book of questions. Mm. And, and the questions get bigger and bigger and bigger. And actually the incarnation of Jesus is one of the biggest questions ever asked. Um, and, and, and Jesus continues to interact with humanity. He gets asked questions, but he returns larger questions to the people who ask them. And I, so I became fascinated with this, and that, that drove the, the book. And so the book is ostensibly um, a statement, which is mm-hmm. this, is that faith is about asking questions. Mm-hmm. And faith, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty, and particularly <laughs> absolute certainty. And part of the things which is siloed, um, cultures, siloed political groups, siloed races, siloed genders, silence the possibility of human flourishing has been a drive to have it answered yes. as opposed to mm-hmm. allowing yourself to be open to further questions. Yes. Um, I, I think about this as a human being, as an organic moving animal in the world. Um, in order for me to be alive, I have to grow. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, my body sitting in this room, in this flesh, in these bones is not the same body that my spirit inhabited seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, all of my cells have changed. They've been sloughed off and they've changed. And I become this other thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that change, that movement, that fluidity is part of what gives us life. Right. Without it, we'd be static. We'd be stone. We'd be bricks. And mm-hmm. and this is not what we were created to be. When I look at the terrors that go on in our society with around marginalization, with silencing of differences, um, these things come by people trying to stop growth, stop change, stop questions. Mm-hmm. So that drove the book. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what came behind it. And then I can go into some other questions. But that was kind of the impetus of it. <laughs> it's so funny because uh, we've say this on the podcast often just to, to talk about our background. Macy was a theology major, scriptures major? Admin, were educational ministry. Educa- yeah, 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 yeah. Um, at theology, admin for me at SPU. So we right. both went to SPU. Right. And I went to Fuller Seminary, had right. Jeff for a professor at Fuller. Yeah. Right. I think you had him at SPU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting. I think uh, the church, the Christian church has a very strange and ambivalent relationship with its pastors in the sense that we in theory value education, want to send our leaders to seminary, but at the same time we want them, we, they, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we want them to come back with the answers. Sure. Mm. You know, and, and they're alarmed and we're often alarmed uh, to cut, to know that we're actually coming out with more questions. Right. Um, so yeah. And I think part of what I'm trying to get at too in the book and as, and we go through various chapters, I can talk about kind of the movement of that is that 
Really, the movement of our life for what it means for human flourishing is not to move to certainty, but it's moved to confidence. Hmm. And so I talk a lot about what it means to, as opposed to taking a detour into certainty, is yeah. to what does it mean to go to confidence? Yes. Yeah. Confidence allows for more input. It allows for more, more sojourners for the journey. It, yeah. it allows for more input. Mm-hmm. It allows for wonder. It allows for surprise. It allows for mistakes and risk. These are the things that make us human and, and kind of how we become who we are. And confidence allows us to continue moving forward, right? Yeah. What certainty does is it closes off any opportunity for new input to come in. Yeah. And, and why that becomes so ironic is that of all the people who should be celebrating the movement beyond certainty and into faith should be religious people. Yeah. Um, and what happens with ideologues who move into fundamentalism, whether it's fundamental, fundamentalist Islam, fundamentalist Buddhism, fundamentalist Christianity, forms of fundamentalist Judaism, whatever you want to think about with religious extremists, they all are the same with regards to the sense of essentialisms. This is the way it always has to be, and nothing can change it, yeah. including ellipsis, dot, 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 God, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and the moment you get to that point that God can't move that dial, yeah. you're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are no longer asking a question of religious faith. You're not looking at transcendence. You're not looking at the possibilities of life. You have now decided that this is where it ends. Yeah. I mean, when I think about students who sit in my classroom and they say, well, no, it has to be this way for all time. I ask them, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you hoping to discover in this? Yeah. I mean, Why are we here? Yeah. Do you want another layer on top of what you already know? Yeah. Uh, back when the EU was formed, um, I was living in, uh, I was in Ireland for a short time and, um, and, uh, the Republic of Ireland had a huge infusion of funds that came from being part of the, uh, mm-hmm. European union. And, one of the ways the funding system works is that the, it, when they got to May, they had to kind of empty out their bank accounts. And what traditionally happened is coming out of Dublin on the way to Galway, there's this major highway. And for seven years, they kept repaving it to use up funds to, so they could get new funds coming in the next year. Hmm. The road was perfectly fine. Yeah. And so it was so much so that at one point, as you're going on the drive, the, the, the edge of the road had been paved over so much, it was seven feet tall. Oh, um, it was layers and layers and layers of concrete that they just kept oh, laying down because they had to use up their funding, right? Gosh. Now, this is what happens to us when we constantly go back over yeah. the same thing over and over again. And we tell ourselves, this is the way it is. This is the way it Rigidity. is. We just put cr- concrete on top yeah. of things, and nothing can break through that. Yeah. And... And my point that I'm trying to get at for the book and what I'm hoping for humanity <laughs> is that we see mm-hmm. ourselves as an open aperture ready to receive the light of the world. That we're, li- we're allowed to let each other's hearts in and let, ex- and let and because, I mean, as I say in the book, if you're clutching so hard to your certain, you have no room for embrace. Yeah. yeah. No room for it. Yeah. You, you, you can't receive anything from anybody mm-hmm. else. What, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, I mean, everything you're saying, we did an episode two weeks ago on straight up curiosity and Mm -hmm. just talking about what it is to like have a curious mind. Right. And this just like feels so in line with that. And thinking back to me entering college, which Mm -hmm. I, I entered with the idea of studying theology and Mm -hmm. coming from a church background with this idea that I would get answers. I was like, sweet, I'm going to go study theology and totally get God. And yeah. understand it and I remember taking like basically just like needing to unpack so many things and allow space for just like every question and I felt like that was so supported by so many of my professors mm. which well that's a, um, that's a good story to hear yeah I mean and, right. and it allowed me to to experience God and experience just depth 
um, and wonder and curiosity, as mm-hmm. you were saying, as well as, yeah, fear and just like right. intensity. It allowed me to experience things when I was able to fully allow myself to, um, because I before it had such a rigid system, I think, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it makes a lot of sense. And I think as we mature, we understand that, um, and this is actually from Richard Rohr, who I'm sure you know many of your listeners are probably familiar <laughs> with, but, yeah, but, he, but he's, he's a priest who has done a lot of work on Enneagram questions and a lot of human flourishing questions. <laughs> do you know your Enneagram number, yeah, by do you? I, I do, but I... But do you want to talk about I'm, it? Not, not right now. This will, be, this, will be, this will be your bonus thing. Okay. Because yeah, I don't know bonus. how to interpret it at the end. Yeah, uh, right, so right. Maybe you we'll can. interpret it oh, for you. Okay, that'd be great. But Richard Rohr, in one of his books, talks about how the skills that we build for the first half of ch- or chapter of our life are not sufficient for the second chapter of our yeah. life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and so one of the things that happens for young people is that and I'm I'm a father of three daughters, right? So I have a daughter in college, I have two daughters in high school. So this is a live question for me as I think about what that means. And am I putting systems in place for them that restrict their capacity for surprise and wonder as they go out into the Ooh, world? Ooh, a big and, parenting question. And, and it's a massive Ooh. question because on the other side of it, I want to make sure that my kids are and I, and I, safe in the best sort of word, right? Well, and boundaries yeah. can... Yeah, boundaries are very important, right? Yeah. So when my four-year-old runs out in the middle of the street, I tell him you can't do that, right? right? I tell her you, you can't do that. And so there's boundaries, there's restrictions, there's ways in which we kind of move forward because of boundaries. But if the boundaries and the restrictions don't give us strength to move into the next chapter that we can hmm. leave them behind, hmm. it's like building a house. I mean, if you mm-hmm. build a house and leave the scaffolding up for all time, what's the point? Yeah. Right? I mean, the scaffolding is only there for a season, right? And mm. we have seasons that we move through. Good point. And, and, Another and, good image. And, and, and the church in and of itself, I, I keep challenging, needs to acknowledge that there are certain things that seasons, as we move through them, we don't need them anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and we... Even the ecumenical councils of the early church knew this. They yeah. never meant for some of our creedal affirmations to still be used in worship. They were legal things for a yeah. period oh, of time. We need to that, hear this. <laughs> that, well, I mean, it's 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 in the history books, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you look at Nicaea three twenty five. I mean, the formulation of that was dealing with the Arian controversy. They formulated what we now call the Nicene Creed after a few years, and it continues to be part of worship. It's beautiful. It's poetry. It, it gives us a lot of things to hang our hat on. Mm-hmm. But if you brought people from the fourth century to today and say, "Oh, by the way, we're still using the Creed in worship," they would be shocked. <laughs> Guys, they'd, hey, wait, uh, they'd whoa, be shocked. Hey. It was written for a season. Yeah, yeah. it was written to get through a particular thing, a scaffolding. Now yeah. move on, and you need to build something for your season. Uh, you need to do something for your season, right? And so, what's that going to look like yeah but there's this fear that if we do something on our own it'll be wrong it'll be backsliding it'll be heretical and so what we do is we double down on nostalgia <laughs> we, we, we 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 go back to what has been done before good we see this, this is a Bible teacher. This isn't a rogue person we found walking down the street. <laughs> well, this this is, Bible I, I see this in the Eucharist all the time yeah. in churches when they practice the Lord's Supper. Is they they work so hard in the, in in the epiclesis and merry movements of this that they don't have any surprise and wonder that's actually written into the uh, text itself. Mm. Right? It becomes this performative act yeah. that is just trying to hold on to this thing in some kind of preciousness. Yeah. Um, that loses all of the scandalous, wondrous power yeah. Yes. Uh, that this meal had. And, uh, and, and that's what I think mm. questions do. Questions bring us to a place of humility. They open us up to other voices. It means I haven't got everything together yeah. and allows us to move into other conversations, which is a lot of what I'm trying to do in the book. I was yeah. really inspired 
um, we're gonna get, I'm going to actually quote your book in a second. <laughs> but, um, uh, when I was reading um, Paul Tillich's work on my own, uh-huh. and he, just in his systematic theology, I'd never heard this, but he was essentially saying we need to create new language. Like, That's right. And we have that yeah. uh, right as theologians and that responsibility to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And we need to reinterpret it in a new way, but um, that often gets looked at as heresy. I mean, even saying the phrase ground of being to a lot of people sounds so new agey and threatening. Right. Like, mm. I, it's just a new word for me. Maybe it's not nostalgic to some other people. Mm. Um, right. But to somebody else that might get at something mm-hmm. that might be more helpful to them. Well, this was, I mean, you know, till like in 1919, you know, you know, published a, published a lecture called toward a theology of culture. Hmm. And in that Don't lecture, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he talks about this tripartite form, content, and meaning, hmm. right? These three things come together to give anything meaning in our lives, right? So content, you know, what is it that I imbue it that you and I can talk about, right? Mm-hmm. This is language systems after Wittgenstein and things like that. Yeah. But then form is the way that we can apprehend it, right? So right now, as we're sitting in this podcast, we're looking at a window, yeah. right? And the window has outside of it the, the you know Fremont and cars and things are going out of it. <laughs> but we can see out that window the, con- the, win- the content's all out there the because it's been framed for us by a window, hmm. right? Right. So it, it tells us, look through that, not look through the wall, right? We were given attention, hmm. um, like an icon, to pay mm-hmm. attention to it, mm-hmm. right? Now, what Tillich says is that when the form of anything eclipses the content, uh, we only see the form of the thing, mm-hmm. uh, then we lose religious import, mm-hmm. right? But if the content itself becomes more important than form, meaning it's just like, hey, no, wh- whatever you say goes, mm. uh, then we can't pass it on to another generation. We don't have a way to communicate readily. So we have to have a balance. <gasps> right? So meaning comes in the balance between the two, right? So one of the in one of my earlier books, I use this example from the Rijk Museum in, in mm. Amsterdam. Uh, if you and if you go in the Rijk Museum, it's this very famous uh, Dutch masters mm. uh, museum, and you go up this grand staircase, and one of Rembrandt's great works called The Night Watch is there. And it's this massive canvas. And when Rembrandt was painting this, he was commissioned to paint it. But at the same time, there was also a commissioning for the frame to be made. Hmm. Now, the frame was completed six months before Rembrandt completed his painting. And so when he brought his painting, the, the frame was about 13 inches shorter oh. than the painting itself. And so what they did is they cut off 13 inches of the painting to make it fit the frame. Now you think about that today, you think this is a Rembrandt, right? But at that time he was a work for hire painter, right? And all these kind of things. But we do this all the time, Hmm. right? A masterful thing comes at us of content and we say, no, no, I've got a frame that this has to fit into. Hmm. And if it can't fit, I've got to lop Ooh, that. Good off. metaphor, right? Like right? good metaphor. Right. And this is and this happens. Was all. it a picture of Jon Snow? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but and, th- and this That's is the first ex- I have. yeah, yeah. This is exactly what happens oftentimes with our sense of belief. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah I feel and this that. is again why questions are so important, right? Yeah. Something's coming at me in my schema that I've seen it in before. Oh, it doesn't fit, right? Right. Oh. And, and it happens all the time, and it happens with ideologues, you know, with regards to on the right or the left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that person can't possibly be the face of God to me, right? <laughs> and this was the whole point of Jesus's, you know, parable of the Good Samaritan, right? You know, when, when, when he's being asked about what, you know, by the lawyer, what might I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, you know, says, well, what do you think it is? And he answers from the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he answers from Leviticus 19, love your neighbors yourself. And he says, hey, good answer. And then the lawyer says, well, then who's my neighbor, right? And then Jesus tells the story, yeah, right? And the crazy, Got you journalism. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just really, it was amazing, right? So he tells his story, and the story has two priests who are the embodiment of the very scrolls that were just quoted mm. from. So mm. he takes the scrolls, a, a Levite, 
to represent Leviticus, yes. and another priest to do De- Deuteronomy, and he puts flesh on him and has him walk around. <laughs> and he says, okay, you can memorize that, you can codify that, you can exegete that, but once it starts walking around, you don't want to get it dirty, do mm. you? So they walk away. They mm. walk around encounter, right? Mm. And then he says something else comes, right? And you have the Samaritan, right? And the face of the Samaritan... Well, Jesus. <laughs> and, and the face of the Samaritan, it cannot possibly be the answer. Yeah. It's not the text. It's not from Torah. It's not from Midrash. Not the frame. It, it's, 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 it's racially other, yeah. right? Mm. And it approaches us and go, this can't possibly be the face of God. Yeah. So my frame is like, it, it's repulsed by this. Yeah. Where do I put that in? And here's the crazy thing. In the centuries of the church preaching on this text, oftentimes pastors will say, go be a Samaritan. Right. When that's not the point that Jesus mm. was trying to get at all. Mm. He's saying, don't you know the Samaritan is, is the face of God? Mm. You are mm. in the ditch. Yes. Mm. That's who you are. And so the Samaritan is the one who's going to save you. Mm. So now you've got to get outside your frame. You've got to, fa- got to find the faces you don't recognize who are going to be the face of God. That's what good questions do. Mm. And that's the destabilizing force of what Jesus does, right? And when Jesus at the end of that uses poiete, you know, do this, mm. you know, he tells the Lord, go do this now, yeah. right? It's the same word he uses for the Eucharist, right? Leviticus. Do you know, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, poiete, right? Luke, Luke 22, 19. You know, poiete, do this in remembrance of me. Make yeah. something like poetry mm. in yeah. remembrance of me. Make something wondrous in remembrance of me. Be creative in remembrance of me, right? So it's not about restrictive frame. It's about wonder. Mm. And questions are one of the ways to get there. People will say in response to that that will preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah. it'll, hopefully yeah, it'll, it'll get Samaritan. us out in the streets. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it's about. Yeah, right. It, it's it's not merely about okay, that's interesting, yeah. but then how do I live it out? And so one of the things I also try to do in the book too is I say, okay, where are these questions going to take you? Yeah, yeah. You, know, you do a good job. And, and, and will you go there? Yeah, right. And I ask, and I'm saying I'm asking myself that question, and I want fellow sojourners who ask questions to help me get there. Yeah, right. Oh, this, I mean, this is a, just an example of what, um, you know, anybody that has gone to college or sat in any sort of lecture or knows that it can get kind of boring, especially in certain situations where it's like a three hour class. Right. So but this I is the like, boring part. No, no, no. no. no I thought, this is an example of what it was like to be in a Jeff Cuse class was just like lightning fast thoughts all the time, <laughs> never slowing down. And it was just like very exhilarating for somebody like me. I'm like, whoa, where are we going? Now we're here. Now we're here. Wow. I don't yeah. even know where we started, but we go. Really quick, <laughs> very quick, <laughs> which is great. Do you have something to say? No, I just think, like, listening to you talk, it really does speak to, I think, just the the inherent mis- mystery of God and mm. the necessity of maintaining that mystery mm-hmm. and how I remember hearing this once of, like, once you think you've understood God, then, like, you definitely haven't. Yeah. Because, like, if yeah. you think you do, then you need to basically reframe mm-hmm. um, and open yourself up. And I just think in a world that we live in where we're so drawn to kind of black and white thinking and right and wrong and putting things in a binary, this just, this way of thinking opens us up to see the gray and, mm-hmm. and not just see the gray, but like love the gray. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's where life is being lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's only in those spaces of uncertainty and grayness and, you know, just, I don't know, yeah. um, that we have to find each other. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the other part is that certainty draws a strength from individualism, uh, and mm. isolation. Mm. Yeah. Um, where questions well require 
companions. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I need to listen to a question asked to me. I need to respond to somebody's question of me. So it requires relationship. Yeah. And I think that's one of the sinister parts of our current age is that we elevate individualism so far above the capacity for us to have intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I see this Uh-oh. all the time. Gosh, I feel all... this so much. Because well, yeah, <laughs> people, people tr- think that vulnerability is intimacy and it's not. Ooh. Right. They, they actually they, they think they're the same thing and they're not. So people will lift up. Oh, vulnerability. Really super important. Oh, that person was super vulnerable. Could you walk away from it? Could you leave it behind? Could you forget it ever happened? Absolutely. Hmm. Vulnerability is the doorway through which intimacy can happen. Hmm. But it's not intimacy alone. Right. If I share all my stuff on social media, if I get up in the pulpit and I bleed about all the things going on in my life and you say, wow, that's so vulnerable. Are we connected? Did it cost me anything to be in a relationship with Macy or Scott? Mm. Yeah. Right? And the mm. move from vulnerability to intimacy is the great bridge that our generation is dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. What we think that we got enough in vulnerability, and the problem is now people are bleeding out. Mm. They're mm. open wounds in front of each other with no connection and no suturing. I mean, you know, oh, one of the one of the yeah, early church well said. Yeah, one of the early church fathers, Gregory of Nazianzus, put it bluntly. He says, Christians celebrate not their sickness, but their cure. Hmm. They celebrate not their sickness, but their cure. Hmm. We need to expose our trauma. We need to talk about our suffering and our woundedness and our brokenness. But if it stops there, if it only ends with I'm wounded, you're wounded, if we're not moving ourselves closer to what does it mean for us to love? Hmm. What does it mean to us to care? What does it mean for us to hope and heal? What does that look (laughs) like, right? You know, what do we do? You know, what, what happens then? Gosh, right? I'm having flashbacks to last year. I was in the season of just like crazy uncertainty of like a lot of things. And I think it was like legit intimacy with friends. It was like mm. it. I don't know how I could have gotten out of the season of uncertainty without other people right. like having to kind of hold stability in your times of uncertainty. Yeah. Mm. Gosh. Mm. I mean, think about it this way from a church standpoint, right? So for Christians listening to the podcast, going to a worship service uh, or a synagogue or, a, or you can go to a mosque, you can think about any worship place you go to. For Christians on a Sunday morning, their Sabbath, they come into a sanctuary and they sit in a pew or a chair. For many people in Western culture, particularly urban Western Christians, their thought in their head deep, deep down is, how do I not need a single soul in the room? Hmm. How do I become yes. finan- how do I become yeah. financially together? How do I become emotionally together? Yeah. How do I how do I mean maybe I have a surplus of income so I can be benevolent, mm-hmm. but but my entire goal in life is to be absolutely and completely siloed from everybody else here. That's actually the drive of people who sit in church services. Hmm. Isn't that weird? And, and yeah. so, and then you get into a canonized text of 66 books of the Christian <laughs> Bible for Protestants, where every single one of them presupposes a listening community before it's individually taken yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Right? And so, so you have a book that makes no sense to them. <laughs> you have, you have, you have, you have stories that presuppose a thing called the body of Christ, not a collection of individuals. You, you have Dang all it. these things that are there, and then you wonder why people scratch their head and going, "I'm going to Zuba." Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. I peace out. Right. I don't get this. Yeah. You yeah. know, or they think, you know, really, basically my only th- nobody in this room is going to care if I live or die. Right. They may say it, but actually, I don't really believe it. Right. Yeah. And, and this is also part of the question asking is, do we believe if we ask questions that there'll be a response? Yeah. And not just yeah. a response, but will people listen to me, hear me? See me. I mean, if we look at kind of the, the questions of racial reconciliation right now, the question of do you see me yeah. in my body 
at this time is paramount, right? Yeah. Life mm-hmm. and death matter on this. And so mm-hmm. in the opening chapter, when I talk about Trayvon Martin and I talk mm-hmm. about these issues, this is why we have to ask these questions yeah. because we've already made an essentialist statement about who that person is as they approach me, right? We're done as a society. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. We're yeah. done. And we cannot get there unless we open a larger aperture in our hearts and our souls and our minds, yeah. right? Yeah. And, we've got, and we need better equipment for it. Mm. So part of the thesis for the book is... We need a spiritual discipline of asking questions, and it's been left off the table in the in the in the ranking of spiritual discipline, mm-hmm. which is strange, mm-hmm. right? Richard Foster, update yeah. your book. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, seriously, I mean, I love I love Richard's work. I yeah. love I love a lot of stuff that he's done. I love Renovari's work, but so much of celebration discipline presupposes an individual. Yeah, uh, that's right? really right. true. Every that's single amazing. exercise yeah. is all about, and that's why it did You're so well. Yourself. Well, yeah. there's aren't yeah. four corporate. Yeah, there are, but it, but again, it's like electives. It's like it's like the re, it's like the recommended reading on a syllabus. Yeah, Who's yeah. going to do it? Yeah, right. The required reading is all about the individual prior to a community, hmm. right? And and I and again, I I love Foster stuff. I love that kind of reawakening yeah. of disciplines for Protestants. But but question asking is a spiritual discipline. Yeah, no, that's right? a and and part of the problem in the church is we have allowed people to ask the wrong questions in their life, and it mm. takes them to a wrong place. Right, right. If I punch in the wrong address in my maps thing, it's going to keep putting a point on a place that I don't need to go. Mm-hmm. Right. But if I ask the right question, maybe it'll take me there. And so part of my Ooh. argument is that Scripture actually has questions for us to ask. Hmm. What would happen if we followed the bread trail and asked the questions that other people ask of God and of each other? And what would that do to you if you actually sat in a season of asking, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. What would it mean to ask, how will I know? What will I ask, how long will I be in this darkness? Like oh. Job asks, oh. right? These you are know, the ch- chapters, know? by the way. These, are, chapters. <laughs> These are questions I deal with in the book. <laughs> and what I, what, I, what I found is that I sit with students and I sit with people in these questions. Hmm. When they've sat in those questions, it makes them realize that maybe this is the question I need to be asking. Yeah. And the other questions have been, I, I hate to say it, but like prophylactics to protect me <laughs> from the real questions yeah. I need to be asking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, your career, your money, you know, intimacy issues, these are all great things. Mm-hmm. But if I can actually ask these questions first, maybe those other ones will make more sense. Mm. Mm. And that's my thesis. That's a great thesis. <laughs> uh, I I'm so I'm almost struck by how like this should be on the table in terms of like a Lenten practice, mm. like asking questions with your small group, like coming up yeah. with some questions to delve into, and approaching it in a very open-minded way. But I don't know. In terms of moving a little bit past your thesis, like I was very inspired by your second chapter, which does ask the question in my bro in my bro in a I, good my big question. Keeper. Yeah, yeah, but it it. Um, I was surprised because I did take the title to be very um, me-centric, individualistic. Mm-hmm. Like, this is yeah. about my questions and my journey. Right. And to get, I was challenged right off the bat to think of um, how this impacts others and mm-hmm. how it impacts my calling into the world. Um, I, I don't know if you'd be willing to share this, but I feel like you shared a really good story in the book about uh, being yelling at an airline ticket lady oh right and and your face the face metaphor of like yeah you had a face you had a responsibility that you had taken out into the world as a pastor but now that you were talking to a stranger that didn't exist temporarily and then that's somebody right. saw you I, I mean i'm telling your story but do you want to yeah sure yeah in in that chapter i i talk about a situation this was years ago i was flying through o'hare airport and i'm not want to throw any shade on chicago mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. o'hare is a difficult airport sometimes to make connections but i was flying i was <laughs> flying through airport. i was flying through o'hare airport and i was trying to make a connection to flight back to seattle 
And uh, my fiance, now my wife, was planning a birthday party for me. And they were friends, actually friends from out of town, a couple of people from Ireland. Uh, and they were here and we we're going to have this party that night. And so I was trying to get back for this party. Mm. So it was the stress of trying to get to an airport. I was excited about seeing some of these people. And my flight got canceled and things happened. So I went to a ticketing counter. It was a little bit like out of a scene with Steve Martin in oh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So if, if that's a very old movie for many people. But there's a, and basically what's happened to me, I went to the ticketing counter. I just lost it. I mean, all of my reserves, all of my sense of presenting a sense of togetherness well, and Steve professionalism. Steve Martin has a lot of expletives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, didn't, I didn't go that far, but I was yelling at somebody. Yeah. 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 And I wasn't feeling heard, and I was feeling incredibly embattled about that I had some rights, right? Mm-hmm. This was a privilege 101. Mm-hmm. Right? You, know, I, 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 you know, I have my things. I have my this yeah. and that, and I yeah. have a right to these things, right? Yeah. And so I want access wow. you know, to power, right? And I'm playing every card I can, and she's like, I can't do anything for you. There's no plane, yeah. right? You know? There's no plane. Yeah, you can't change that, right? Yeah. So I'm yelling and screaming at this poor woman, and I'm and I'm and I'm so outside of my sense of control because I'm just kind of tired and exhausted and all this. And right behind me in line, I get this tap on the shoulder, and oh, I no. turn around, and it and it's a woman who is in my church, right? So this is so I think I'm anonymous. I'm thousands of miles away from my home, from a congregation. I have this illusion that I can become a, another person. That yeah. somehow who I am doesn't have implications or ramifications when I move outside a certain context. Yeah. And this is a strange illusion that we have as human beings that we think the things that we do only affect things when we pay attention to it. Mm. Oh, you know? Mm. How do we and, get out of that? I mean, it's like yeah. when I was really young, and this is because, because <laughs> when I was really young, um, we only had four ch- uh, TV channels where yeah. I lived. Yeah. I lived in Guam for a time. And I believed as a kid when I turned it off, I turned it back on, the show would still be there. Oh, yeah. Right? So unlike today where of course that can happen all the time Mm -hmm. because of streaming you know and i'd be so frustrated and i think our lives are like that Mm -hmm. we think we can turn on and off our life whenever we want to Mm -hmm. i can fly to europe and i can become another person Mm -hmm. i can live in the darkness and just become this thing and it has no implications on who i am or my soul Mm -hmm. this grand illusion that we see this on social media we see this in so many different ways and people get rebranding and they, and they tangle yeah. themselves up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. They tangle themselves up. They become these other things. Mm-hmm. And and what happened in that moment was when she and she just had this beautiful smile on her face. Hey, are you okay? It was kind of like more <laughs> sense, like she was like trying to care for me. She's like, right. yeah. gonna help and, this guy emotionally. The regulate. first thing I'm thinking of is like. There's no way that I should have ever been ordained. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> right. Yeah, I am yeah. the worst person oh, in the no. world, yeah. right? And and you know, and and this, so in the book I talk about that. Mm-hmm. And part of what Cain's journey is in that chapter, mm-hmm. by asking that question, he actually believes in his heart that he can be separate from other humans and be an individual. Mm-hmm. And this is a grand illusion that That's, that, that yeah. we've had since the Enlightenment. Yeah, the idea that 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 as we become a person first and then become community second. Yeah. yeah. And there's not a single thing theologically that supports that as an argument. And we live into it over and over and over again because we have systems in place in our culture that allow us to believe that illusion. Right? You know? No. no. I know. We're not talking Enneagram now, but I identify as an Enneagram 5. And I think that's, uh, to me, it all starts in the head. And then maybe eventually it'll get out into other people. But it's like I'm trying to build a castle of solitude to myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a good and challenging word for me. Um, so I do like that the book, and this is a challenge to anybody listening, and it's certainly a challenge to me, is, is this isn't just a live the questions in terms of uh, ask questions sitting in your room and figure out life mm-hmm. by asking good questions. I think to start with the consideration of others and how this impacts others and your responsibility to others mm-hmm. and seeing the Imago Dei in others mm-hmm. um, is so important. 
I'm, I'm going to read a, a quote. Is that okay? Yeah. So getting into chapter three, and I would, I think it would be really cool to just deep dive this. And we also highly recommend the book. So <laughs> yeah. buy it. Buy the book, everybody. Live the questions. Live the questions. So this, this is how will I know. And after sort of a warm up, I call it a warm up. Um, maybe it's not. <laughs> maybe it was. All, I, I think I, to me, I don't know. This was really getting into. He has some good quotes from uh, Jillian Rose and Fyodor Dostoevsky from Brothers Karamazov. Um, but I think this is uh, some good writing here too. You know, I think you're a good writer, Jeff. Mm-hmm. But uh, it says, if human beings were to resemble punctuation, we would probably be question marks. Imagine walking down the street and seeing a peacock of question marks hovering over each head. Imagine a trail of question marks hanging like a wedding train behind each person, floating on the breeze as they walk, leaving question mark-shaped particles of dust flittering down into the sidewalk, coming to rest in the gutter as each of us continues to walk and ponder. That's the kind of image that arises for the writer of Psalm 8. Hmm. See if you can spot the big questions that the psalmist is asking. So I won't read the psalm, but um, I love that. Mm-hmm. What a great imagery, and, and I feel like it's a very true imagery, mm. you know, um, and it's a affirmation, I think. I think it'd be very cathartic for somebody to read mm-hmm. that and to know that to a certain extent, they're high, they, they feel like they're needing to conceal their questions, mm-hmm. especially in Christian circles. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you want to do you want to talk about that passage at all or that? Thing that you wrote. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... Part I want to be like a Chris Farley interview. You know, <laughs> that's, that's that okay. was pretty cool. Yeah, did you mean that? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, I did mean that. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I believe it in my heart. And, and part of it is, too, later in that chapter, I, I, I do talk about this idea that um, what if the questions that are, that are scaring you the most are actually the questions that God wants you to ask? Hmm. What if the things that are bubbling deep within your heart are the very things that God wants you to say aloud. Mm. And what would happen if you did? You know, what would happen if you did? Mm. I mean, the amount of time that people spend time in therapy and in, 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 in contact groups and in AA groups and in shuttered walls, just trembling with their lips just to utter the words of the thing that is deepest in them. Mm. And they're terrified because they feel like the moment they utter it, their entire world will explode. But what if maybe that world that they're holding on to so tightly was never meant for them? Hmm. Maybe the real world that they're being drawn into is going to be led into them by these questions that scare the dickens out of them, yeah. right? And so I do believe that we are people who are shaped by questions. And actually, the questions become like tumors when we don't speak them. Hmm. They, 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 hmm. they eat us up. They, yeah, they, 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 they fear us. I see, this, I see this with students when they're dealing with their question of sexual identity. Mm-hmm. I see this with, with individuals when they're struggling to kind of fit into a certain occupational track that was never meant for them in the first place. <laughs> I see this with people when they're chasing after kind of a certain type of success or marker of, of, of affirmation from their parents or from friends or some kind of fictional person out there. Yeah. And they're chasing after it to, to push down and quiet the mm. voice that is deep within them. The essence. The essence of who they are. Yeah. Mm. Right? I mean, uh, you know, St. Augustine said so poetically in, in Latin, it's, uh, uh, in interior homine habitat veritas. In the interior person dwells truth. Mm. Right? Habitat mm. veritas. You know, it habitates inside of us. And, and this veritas wants to come out. Yeah. Right? And, and I believe in my heart that this is part of the reckoning of human beings. When we see another human being approaching us on the street, when we see them in a classroom, there's this moment of fear that they're going to ask us the question that's going to lock this Pandora's box within us. Mm. And we work so hard to tamper it down. And so much of adulthood is spent on that task, right? How do I quiet down the things that I want to ask? Because what if I say that I'm not sure 
I know what love is. I'm not sure of who I am. I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe any of this is true. I don't believe that this job actually fits me. I don't know if I like my parents at all. I mean, what I mean, but but asking that doesn't mean. Thoughts. But and, and so many more. Yeah, right? so many more. And once you get started, it's hard to it's stop. It's hard to stop, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> C.S. Lewis wrote this wonderful book called "Till We Have Faces," which oh, is a yeah. re-envisioning of the myth of Cupid and Psyche, mm-hmm. and it's a it's, I mean, you may not like C.S. Lewis, but this is one you just cannot deny. It's, right. it's powerful. Yeah. And at the end of that book, one of the protagonists is reading their treatise of anger against the Greek gods, mm. right? And it's a scroll that they're reading. And, and it's so hard for them to finally utter it because because the moment she says it, she knows she's saying the truth. Mm. But once she starts speaking, she can't stop. Ah. And the scroll mm. keeps going and mm. going and going yes. and going. And she falls down in exhaustion, and the gods turn to go, are you done? Mm-hmm. And and what it is and what's being said is like we're not going anywhere. Right. Do you have yeah. any more? Yeah, yeah. you have yeah. any more because we're here to take it. Yeah. Right? I mean, one wow. of the things that's so powerful about the reality of God is God can withstand and actually wants to embrace every question we ask. Mm. But we've never given God the time or the energy or the permission to do so. And that's why these false mm. gods pop up in people's lives all yeah. the time. And it's yeah. so easy to dismiss. Yeah. It's like, I don't believe in God for mm-hmm. this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in God because of suffering. I don't believe in God because my life hasn't turned well. I don't believe, and these are great questions. Yeah. Right? But if you actually put the sufficient weight of that theodicy, that question of evil, that sufficient weight of disappointment. You give so, it the but, space to have or, the question. Or anger. Have you actually raged out? You yeah. know, as opposed to kind of Bruce Banner, kind of like I'm going to be half Hulk, <laughs> half Bruce Banner in life. You know, what I mean, oh, as yeah. a way of settling that stuff. <laughs> what, if you, what if you just actually just let it out? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and in those places, we remove ourselves from ourselves and move into a different space. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one of the pendulum swings I talk about in the book of human beings is we move between fear and wonder all yeah. the time. Fear those and wonder. Fear and wonder. Yeah. So one yeah. fear is the place we go to to remove ourselves from the capacity of being challenged or losing all the safeguards that we're working so hard on. That's what fear is about, right? Ooh. And phobos, the Greek word for fear in the <laughs> New Testament, the heat, right? yeah. 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 Is, is an irrational sense of that, right? But wonder is the place where we lose ourselves. Mm. This is transcendence. Ooh, this is yes. ecstasy. Yes. This is, this is, this is why... Macy's language. Right? <laughs> but this is why people dance. This is why people have these moments when they have these moments of, paint. of or, or laughter with friends where you just kind of lose yourself in laughter or this moment of glimpse at a sunrise. You cannot, you, you want to weep because there's no possible word to describe it. Ooh. Or you see your child for the first time yeah, well. and, and you don't, and you all of a sudden are brought to this point of realizing I didn't know I could love something that much. Yeah. Right. These are points of wonder that remind us that maybe we have a capacity for more than we ever thought. And it mm. scares the hell mm. out of us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what terrifies us. Yeah. Oh. You yeah. Know? They're because yeah, right. And and but this is what questions will do. They'll mm-hmm. actually aliven us. They'll give us a permission to become who we are yes. and we'll find each other. Which even though we hate to admit it, because we the moment we open ourselves up to another person's heart, the capacity to be hurt becomes profound, right? Oh, it's so true. Right? Because it's, it's really true. It, it, it happens all the time. Yeah. Right. And I tell my students this in class, you will have your heart breaking more times than you will ever want to number. No, no. We came to college to make sure yeah. that didn't happen. No, but this is, this <laughs> is life. No, you, no, will, <laughs> you will have your heart broken by people. Tell me how it won't happen. But, but, the, but the beauty of life is those heartbreaks will also be places that you will meet new wonder mm-hmm. that you never yeah. thought possible. Yeah. Right? That's not to give some kind of sense of, okay, let's just kind of say pain is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Pain is a horrible thing for people. But there is a way in which heartbreak is, is just going to be part of the game. Yeah. I, I know Louis C.K. is a hard person to bring up these days, and, and I'm not yeah, like, not bro- trying to one. hold up Louis yeah. C.K., but I do yeah. remember a, an episode of his show where he's been broken up with, and he's talking to his cranky neighbor, and uh, 
he, they're out there talking. He's like, I'm so sad. I've been broken up with, and, oh, my life is over. And the neighbor is like, is an older man, you know, kind of alone. He's just like, you idiot. <laughs> what love is wasted on the young. He's like, this is the good part. <laughs> this is where you get to realize you're alive and yeah, the emotions right. you're feeling and the hurt. This is like the goodness, you know. And Lucy is like, what? I thought this was the bad part. And he's yeah, like, this yeah. is the good part. Yeah. You're living, you know. Oh, man, Gosh. people don't know this. And, and you know, you brought up Peter Rollins earlier. I don't know if we brought that up on the microphones, but I've talked about Peter Rollins on here. And I think the thing he's good at asking is, like, how do we create the liturgical spaces for these things? Sure. How sure. do we act out our questions as a community? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily have answers, but we can get really creative with that, hopefully. Mm-hmm. True. Um, do you want to ask a question, Mason? Well, yeah, I want to read this one thing. Okay. Because I thought it, was, thing. it struck me. Um, this was from the chapter, the first chapter, which is Where, where Am I? Is that what it's titled? Mm-hmm. Where oh, am yeah. I? Going, yeah. We're going back. Yeah. Yeah. We're going back. Oh, yeah. yeah. We That's fine. Two, Just three. helping people understand. Um, where am I, you mean? Yeah. 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 Where am I? Which I thought was oh, yeah. a very, I think, good place to begin in terms of questioning. Mm-hmm. Just like literally looking like right in your present moment. Yeah. Um, but this, this uh, you're kind of talking about social media and just this idea of time and closeness and place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just read this. Um, the phenomenon of close but far is what Turk calls a tethered self. Mm-hmm. As though our real self is tethered to the social media stratosphere and we are pulled away in distance from those who are in close physical proximity to us at any given moment. Tethering goes beyond distraction. It's as though we're living in multiple locations at the same time and fully present uh, in none of them. Oh. Living fractured, fragmented lives in different places and pockets all at once. I'm a fan of social media and I find it connects people in wonderful ways we couldn't have fathomed even a generation ago. But when we become distant and removed from one another, when we can actually be in the same space with another human and ask a deep abiding question, then our true location is lost and all that's left is a tethered fraction of the whole human person. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm citing uh, Sherry Turkle okay. uh, and Sherry Turkle is a clinical psychologist at, at MIT hmm. Um, and she's written a series of books reflecting on kind of the human developmental cycle as we've become more immersive in technology. Mm-hmm. And she's not a um, Luddite. She's not, you know, she's not anti-technology. She's just a researcher asking the question of what mm-hmm. we become. And so yeah. one of, the, one of the, the studies that I looked at with her was what she calls the tethered self. Yeah. That what this, the, the, the movement that we've become as human beings to this augmented sense of our identity that extends into the digital spaces, yeah. right? Yeah. So I have an Instagram platform. I have a Facebook platform. I have a Twitter feed. I, I mean, actually, I don't have a Twitter feed, but I mean, but I mean, but there's different spaces that I can exist in, right? Right. And as I curate those identities, um, as opposed to being fictive, like there's the me here, you know, uh, you know, IRL in real life, yeah. and then there's this over here. They're the, they're actually who I am is is all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and it's absolutely deeply authentic and meaningful. Right. And I, and I talk to so many people who have actually meaningful dialogues that they have on whether it's Facebook posts for older people or Instagram posts <laughs> or Snapchat or even Marco Polo, which I don't get, but there it is. Right. I mean, <laughs> so, I Marco Polo. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and so <laughs> you all, tried it a few times, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, but there's, 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 but there's ways people connect because of augmentation is actually mm-hmm. quite a gift yeah, in many no. powerful ways. But the fragmentation of how we see ourselves in those spaces mm. is the challenge. And how do I understand where I bind those things together? And am I accountable to all these people? Yeah. Right? Yes. Like so, one of the things I yes. one of the one of the postulates I have for students when we talk about the nature of sin, which is always a fun question to have <laughs> in class. But um, you know, are we accountable for our sleep life, for example? 
So if I'm Whoa. if I'm dreaming, oh boy, you know, if I'm dreaming <laughs> and I'm things are happening in my dream life, am I responsible oh. for the things I do in my dream life? What a question. Well, and 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 resoundingly, people say, well, of course I'm not. And and what that triggers for people is you believe that you're only accountable for the things you are reasonably apprehending or like right? consciously, yeah, doing. consciously, right? So therefore, what that does is again gives this enlightenment idea that the only things that matter are the things that I am attentive to. Hmm. When I'm not attentive to it, doesn't matter. A lesser form of thing, Dang. right? You know. Oh, I don't want to be accountable in my dreams. Yeah. No, well, no, no, no. Or 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 the incidental <laughs> things in our lives that, that yeah. affect people in profound, profound ways. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I come speeding through a light. I don't think about. It. I just keep driving. I don't know what happened after that. Yeah, Somebody right. could have gotten a car crash. Yeah. Somebody could have tripped and fallen. Yeah. I mean, in, a, in the, the butterfly effect of my existence on the planet has think ramifications. Think about this like every single about day. Don't yeah. want to think about <laughs> it. <laughs> no, but, but, here, but, here's the, but here's the beauty of this. Okay. As opposed to being so... So, for example, if you're a Jane, if you're a Janist, right, you're going to be so obsessed with this question that you will walk incrementally small steps every day, sweeping the path before you for fear of microbes you can step on, right? Mm, mm. I mean, and, and Janes are beautiful, powerful mm. in the way they embrace their, their sense of belief. Mm. But this kind of absolute sense of attentiveness that you have to be responsible yeah. for, and it's on you if you make a mistake, is a high level of pressure and anxiety that people feel to this day. Hmm. You know, we medicate ourselves away from that reality, but we've now been amplified because of our technology to realize we're actually much more connected than we ever thought before. Hmm. We can't deny it anymore. Yeah. And the anxiety goes shooting through the roof because I, my soul is never meant to bear that weight. It's so much. It's so much. It's so much. It's so much. <laughs> but, and the good news, I mean, the euangelion, the good news in all of this is you don't have to be accountable to it all. <laughs> I mean, these things, these incidents of our lives can happen, and we can still experience forgiveness and mercy yeah. and grace yeah. if we allow ourselves to enter into spaces mm. of doing that. Mm. Part of asking good questions is learning that we are actually human beings, mm. that we're limited, yeah, that we can't, we can't do everything, we, and, I, and I make mistakes all the time. I mean, it, it, it's so hard to get to that point of just saying, you know what? I'm gonna try my best today. I'm gonna do what I can. I'm working at it. Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna break your heart today. I'm probably gonna disappoint you in some point. But can we keep moving on? Yeah. Can we keep trying that? Yeah. Right. What will that look like? And how do we go on that journey together? I mean, one of one of my heroes, uh, John Perkins, who maybe you've mentioned on your podcast. I'm not sure. <laughs> and John actually endorses the book. Yeah. Um, and. And, Along and with that. Walter Brueggemann. <laughs> yeah, Walt's also really great. But, um, so but, great. But, and Todd Bolson. Yeah. But, but the thing I love about John is that John's commitment to a location in Mendenhall, mm. yeah. you know, he, be, he says that reconciliation, moving into these questions of humanity, begin with what he calls relocation. Mm-hmm. Right, it's one of his what he calls three R's, or yes, John yeah. said three R's when he mm-hmm. says it. Right, R's. Three R's. But these, this R of reconciliation is you become part of a place long enough that everybody can see your humanity. Yeah, yeah. Right, and when I do that, the possibility of believing in God becomes very real. Yeah. When I move ex- accelerated, blurred states of life, I, I, I don't have to be accountable to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can live in the illusion that, well, you know, this happens, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and it becomes kind of more of a Nietzschean Ubermensch. It's kind of this, like, oh, I just have to overcome all this stuff. Ubermensch. But, you know, but, but yeah. this, is, this is the vulnerability that we get with our humanity when we're present with each other. Yeah. And this is what I think is at stake with that idea of tethered self. It kind of brings us into this reckoning. I don't think the, the burden of our souls were never meant to bear the burden that we've put on it. 
Mm. And it's it's meant to be shared together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and this is what I mean. Yeah. Every I think sing- that's so true. And it is. I mean, this is the the gift that we have. The gift that yeah. we actually have each other. With each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah is <laughs> powerful. Yeah. It's so powerful. We don't want it. We just, we're afraid of it. We're, we're afraid of the power well, almost. I'm, well, I'm afraid of you letting me go. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. I'm afraid you're going to drop me. I'm afraid you're going to walk with me. And guess what? It could happen. It, yeah. It could happen. But the consistency of God, the consistency of the Holy Spirit, the consistency of my life is not going to be mainly maintained just by finite things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's there's other parts of the story that I include in the book that says mm. that there's reasons why you get to trust other people. Yeah. This is one of the other moves that I talk about in the book a lot is that people in churches talk a lot about faith, but not enough about trust. Mm. And we mm. keep pushing on what does faith look like? What does mm. faith look like? With faith? Mm. But if you don't have trust, if I don't trust you, yeah. then what's faith? Yeah. Right. I mean, I can say I believe in God, but if I don't trust God, then what's the point? Yeah, right. True. And this is some of the things Ooh. I. And this is, I mean, as a, somebody who came out of, you know, '80s, early '90s, kind of deconstructive thinking, which is all powerful, and I love a lot of the work that it's doing. But so much of it is predicated of I trust no one. Hmm. I trust no one. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to constantly put systems in place to make sure that you know that for a fact. What's mm-hmm. an example of a like artist or writer or thinker that sort of embodied that? Deconstructionist. Well, I mean, mentality. well, well, you know, so philosophically, when you use the term deconstruction, yeah. right, that comes from architecture, yeah. right, mid seventies architecture, okay. right, and so, um, you, I mean, of course, you know, some of the the people in literary theory you talk about is like, you know, Jacques Derrida, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah Emmanuel <laughs> Levinas, who I quote in the book. Yeah. Um, uh, you look at some kind of other people, ancillary thinkers that you go with. Um, <sighs> you know, uh, I'm just now you're getting me into a whole different kind of kettle of fish here. I'm, I'm getting you off track. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good track. But I mean, but a lot of what happened is, as far as in biblical studies, you think about Stephen Moore in New Testament studies. You look at uh, Yvonne Sherwood, who's one of my colleagues in Glasgow. Um, they were all about how do we break the text apart, mm, right? Let's right, break the text right, apart, right. right? Let's show that it has fractures and fissures, and 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 in the midst of that, we can kind of say, okay, there, then it. We don't have to worry about it being this this artifice, right? We can mm-hmm. break it up, and a light mm-hmm. can shine, and we can sell it that way. But the problem, though, at the end of that game is where's the reconstructive part of it, right? Right. Yeah, so one of the philosophers I work with, a French philosopher, Paul Ricoeur. Oh, yeah. And I do a lot of writing on Ricoeur. And um, and Ricoeur always comes back to the constructive part. And he mm-hmm. was a contemporary of Derrida. And yeah. they were at the Sorbonne for a time, and then Ricoeur was at Chicago. And the reconstructive task is always about what does it mean for us to be alive, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You know? What do we do with this now? And that's the that's the stopping point I think where a lot of people end, right? They they end with a deconstructive. They think that's the crescendo. This right? is what I want to say here on the podcast, though. I, um, first of all, I know we're we're going so fast, but it's so good. But I think a book like this, and I think asking questions from the outs from an outsider's perspective, gets labeled as deconstruction. Ah, uh, and that that's that's what I I mean. I've literally been said said that to me like, oh, we're asking questions, we're curious, and and people say, oh, you're in your deconstruction phase. I'm right? Like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not deconstructing. This is it's construction to a certain extent. I'm, <laughs> I'm asking questions and I'm building and I'm right. writing and yeah, yeah. But but uh, I think people got that phraseology in their heads a little bit. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's deconstructing. She's deconstructing. Yeah. He's deconstructing. And, and from a negative pejorative yeah. side, right? And that part of that's part of why I wanted to do a book like this, which is the tools for doing that are already in your scriptures. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, it's already there. right there. It's already right there. So you don't need to make up a question. Yeah, 
Ask these questions. Live into it. Spend some time in it, right? You don't, you yeah. don't, you don't need to make your own. Who who right? cut up their Bibles at Sam Adams? Who was it? What, I have a beer in my mind. Who cut up, who famously cut up the out? Well, the well Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson cut all the parts with children. That's what people... And, yeah, people yeah, know, he people, hated kids, so he cut all the pieces yeah, with kids out of it. Yeah. People will do this. They'll, they'll reference that. Thomas Jefferson cutting out pages of their Bible to people that aren't, in their minds, um, embracing the whole Bible or the truth of the Bible from their perspective. And yet, I'm looking at people that have that paranoia, and I'm like, "But you're doing it too. You just want to admit it. You're cutting yeah. out whole portions of scripture." Yeah, mm. we, we all we all do that. We yeah. all we all have what's called a canon within a canon, a right? Canon there, 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 a canon. There, there, there's so there's there's texts that we go to and we ignore the others. I mean, I use the students all the time. I go, "So mm-hmm. how many people know the story of Jonah?" Everybody's hands go up. Like they've seen Veggie Tales or something like that. Yeah, they throw their yeah. hands up. Right? How many of you read Nahum this week? Yeah. <laughs> right? And people are like, "Is that even a book in the Bible?" Yeah. You know? yeah. And I go, "Why is Nahum important?" Well, because Nahum takes place 150 years after Jonah ends. Right, and you go back to Nineveh, and guess yeah. what? They lost the plot. Whoops! Right? They, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whoops! And they're wiped <laughs> off the face of the earth. Yeah. Right? And so, so you 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 double down on Jonah's story. Yeah. Yeah. And you totally forget there's more to the story. Yeah. We do this all the time, and part of the continuity of the text. And and I'm a theologian, not a biblical scholar, for a very good reason, <laughs> in the sense of that I think that the the Bible fits within God's universe. It's, yeah. God doesn't need to fit in the Bible. Mm. Um, and so I don't mean that as kind of a scandalous mm. statement. I just think God says that, and the Bible says it as well. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. quit looking at this book. Find God. The Bible says yeah. that I believe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, so what does I mean? So what does the scripture say, right? So you look at Matthew six, right? Because so the lilies of the field, the birds yeah. of the air, and I'm like, oh, I'm still staring at a book. Right. It's right. Like, right. Yeah. It's it's like it's constant. The, the the Bible itself <laughs> is telling you to get your face out of it and yeah. go away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Wow. You know, and the reason why we double down on it because it gives us control. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not what God wants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God mm-hmm. wants fellowship. God wants meaning. God wants intimacy. And you can't have any of those things when you have control is your first and foremost question. Woo. You'll never have love with control. You'll never have intimacy with control. You know, you'll be guarding yourself in ways that will make you smaller and diminished and very, very sad. Dang it. Dang <laughs> it, it. Dang it. Dang it. Yeah. Um, I, I have one more direction I'd want to take things. Is that okay? Yeah, Do you no. have a thought? Is this? I mean, I hope. I mean, you, you, no. you take how it wherever many, you want to. Yeah. How many Sorry. minutes are we at? We're at fifty-seven minutes. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, we're doing pretty good for ourselves. <laughs> Oftentimes we go a little over two hours, and we're trying not to do that. We're trying to keep it about an hour, <laughs> okay. between an hour and an hour and a half. All right. Um, and what, yeah, it definitely directed me to some things in the book too. Well, so yeah, one of the things I wanted to have you talk about because this is, seems to be a pretty central part of your story is something you actually posted uh, on your Instagram okay. where you were talking about CrossFit. Oh, right. And mm-hmm. you were talking about asking essentially good questions about your body and relationship to your body and what mm-hmm. you learned through yep. CrossFit and Scott Rodriguez, who I only follow because of you. Oh, right. And I'm like, <laughs> it's very inspirational. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, but yes, I don't know if yeah. you'd be just willing to talk about that sort of season that, mm-hmm. that where you started that and now obviously you're yep. continuing on with it. Yeah, so, um, so I, I've been a athlete in different ways throughout my whole life, right? I was a competitive swimmer um, when I was younger, and, you know, that was a big part of my life when sports. I was younger. Yeah. Sports. Yeah. Sports, sports. We talked about sports Did on you? this podcast. And then there's, there's dark dark parts of that yeah. story, yeah. right? You have all of that, right? And then I was then I got into running when I was in college, and I was a rower for a time. I rode for mm. SPU for wow. a year. Wow. Um, yep, so I was on the crew team. Um, and then when I was in graduate school, I was doing half marathons. Oh. And then um, as I get older, because yeah. I'm, I'm – Getting older, um, uh, I, I, got, I got I got injured, tore meniscus, and just 
things weren't going well. It just was physically just kind of feeling well. Um, and then started looking for other things to do and ended up kind of joining a CrossFit gym and started getting involved with CrossFit. Now, um, and so now, just kind of fast forward to now, so I, I'm a trainer, right? Yeah. So I'm a what's called a level one trainer for CrossFit. So I, I College teach, professor, CrossFit trainer. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, so I teach. Pretty right, cool. So here in Seattle, uh, Stoneway CrossFit, I teach there in the mm. mornings. And the, and the thing is, it's a totally different world. Yeah. Right? So I get people in there who are very scared about their own bodies. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their issue about their body. Off, I mean, these are people who... They haven't gotten really off a couch or away from their desk in years. Um, maybe they've had a couple of kids and they're kind of embarrassed about what their bodies become after childbirth. Or they're men who just are really kind of intimidated by what it means to be a man today. Hypermasculinity is a big yeah. deal. Yeah. And so they kind of slowly find themselves in these spaces. But then you also get... You know, these former college athletes who are kind of, you know, the bro culture kind of thing. You get all that kind of stuff happening as well, which is certainly part of the stereotype, which is justified in CrossFit world, right? Yeah. You get all these people posting with these ridiculous physiques. And it's just, it's just like, and you get all that stuff too, right? Yeah. My world in there is not that world, yeah. right? My world is working with people who, what they want to do and they want to admit to me is, I'm scared. Yeah. yeah, I'm scared about being sick. I'm scared about my kids moving in ways I don't move anymore. This pain yeah, in my back yeah. isn't going away. And I feel shame. Mm. I feel shame about wow. my own body. I, mm. I, I can't look at myself naked in the mirror. Um, I haven't had intimate relationships with my partner in a long time because I don't feel good about who I am. These are baseline questions mm. that I'm seeing churches not dealing with. Ooh. And they don't know how to deal with them. They'll, yeah. they'll, you'll sit in a room and you'll have a seminar talk about them in a chair, <laughs> but I'm not going to get somebody, but you're not getting them out and say, let's, let's practice moving your body. Yeah. Let's yeah. stand up and sit down. Let's stand up on a chair. Let's pick something up over our head and kind of see what your mobility, let's give you a stretch to go mm. practice at home to see what would that look mm. like to do that. And over the years, what I've seen in this world and working with people in this way is the body is a place that God desires us to be met and to be loved. Yeah, yeah. We, live in a, we live in a time where people aren't even touched anymore. Mm. For very good reasons, people are scared about touching, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. because, you know, I don't want this to go wrong. And there's, you know, there's obviously consent issues. There's all these kind of violation issues. And those are absolutely imperative. Mm-hmm. But we, people go home and they haven't been physically touched. Mm-hmm years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and they're feeling isolated in their own bodies that way they don't yeah. even know what their body is they're for missing and their body is this weird transport vehicle for their brain yeah oh you know and they don't know what it is anymore yeah and so so, th- so then is. i'm like okay let's 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 talk about what you eat and not not food shaming but honestly let's talk about what you eat yeah all right so let's talk about that let's let's, let's get you convicted <laughs> so today so let's do some things today yeah, yeah. today we're going to step up on a box we're going to get down from a box mm-hmm. and today we're going to go we're going to pick up this this medicine ball and we're going to walk around with a little bit mm-hmm. and i have have people who are that's their journey they begin with mm. yeah and they get to a point where they do a push-up mm. one push-up and break down weeping oh that's you know so sweet. weeping and, and and the thing with me sitting in there is i think as a pastor i, I never had these moments yeah in the, the peace usa in. ordained you in the cross yeah <laughs> yeah but but i'm just thinking but in those places yeah. What I'm finding is so many of us as human beings get in touch with their body. They want to be in touch with their body and they want yeah. their body and their spirit and their soul to be in the same space. Yeah. And they and they want to be able to kind of not, it's not about pride. They want to be whole. Mm. They want to be healed. Mm. And so what I've and this is why one one of the things I talk about in the book about this journey with athletes and what athletics has taught me is 
that we need to move people away from what I'm calling a workout mentality to an athlete mentality. And that sounds very bro culture-ish, and I want to get that on the table, and that's not what I mean by that, right? Um, is that a workout culture is where people say, okay, I'm fat, I don't want to be fat anymore, I'm going to go get on a treadmill. Or, or okay, it's I'm going to do the whole 30, and I'm just going to kind of do this craziness yeah. sort of stuff, which is just, is, it does, anyway, I have a lot of opinions. Um, and But an athlete every day gets up and say, I don't have options. This is how I live. Mm -hmm. My life is not filled with options. Mm. My option is I have to run because if I don't, then then I'm no longer an athlete anymore. Mm. If I don't eat this certain way, then I'm not an athlete anymore. If I don't do these certain things, I'm not an athlete anymore. Now think about a human being if it was like, I don't have an option but to share my love with you. I don't have options like that. I yeah. can't go to my house and hide and be an individual. That's not an option on the table anymore, right? Dang, you know, I'm a human. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what, <laughs> yeah. what would happen if that was the world we lived in? Yeah, right? It'd be wow. A very, so, so all of a sudden, this is why you see people who become CrossFit fanatics. Yeah, right. They become insane, or they become yoga fanatics, or they become, or they, or they, or they become hiking mountaineer fanatics. Yeah, right. Is because they find spaces where they're finally seen and heard, and their body. Yeah. yeah is in touch with who they are, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I have an athlete right now who's legally blind, mm. right? Brings their guide dog into the box, wow. right? And they were told with no uncertain terms that they were not an athlete, nor mm. could they could be, mm. right? Gosh. And and the definition of what that is is so skewed today. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it's right. like, okay, that means that you're getting a, a Nike you know, endorsement or you, or you go to the Olympics. That's not what it means to be an athlete. Mm. I mean, the definitions in scripture of what that means is that you take seriously what it means to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it means. You take it seriously. You've been given a gift. Mm -hmm. You didn't get to choose being born, but now what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Right. And, and part of that, and, and, and so I don't mean to, and so I've just seen, I've seen women, I've seen men, I've seen young men, I've seen, I've seen 85 year old men who for the first time in their lives are feeling alive. Yeah. 85 years I had to wait for that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the chapter on Moses is, it, Moses is 80 <laughs> before the time he finally kind of gets an awakening of actually yeah. who he is. So it's, it's, you're never too late, <laughs> which is also good. Right? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm having major resonating vibes. You mentioned yoga. I just, like in the past two months, deeply got into yoga yeah. because I Vin- feel... Vinyasa or uh, hot yoga? Or Kundalini. Kundalini. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Which my, is like my a wife, lot of breathing. My wife's a yoga... Pr- oh, yep. nice. Yeah. And so it's just like, I, I've legit feel like I'm ex- experiencing God and experiencing mm-hmm. my body on ways I've never experienced before. That's and right. I'm in touch with yep. um, so many things. It's, it's been profound, honestly, mm-hmm. and profound in the way I view the way I participate in the world with my body, I yep. think. Yep. Um, so, which is, which is so much of what the scriptures point us to, because you got to remember that, you know, the early Christians are a pre-literate culture, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, they're not sitting around reading scrolls, right? You've got that in Torah, you've got that in synagogue practices, but by and large, the practice of Jesus and the movement of Acts and into the epistles are embodied practices. They understood God by the food they ate and who they ate it with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they understood God by walking journeys on paths, Damascus Road, you know, yeah. I mean, sorry, yeah. Emmaus Road, with, with, with people alongside yeah. you yeah. for long, long walks, yeah. which is why I love the Emmaus journey so much as a metaphor yeah. for what we should be doing. We'll be Maybe solved Jesus by walking. Will show up. Yeah, we just, let's just walk, just walk right? Mm-hmm. And then you get revealed in that space. Right? Yeah, so oh, embodied, that's true. And we just need more, <laughs> and more. And this is why you get people returning to liturgical practices in Reformed traditions where it was basically banished. And all of a sudden it's like, I want... The Eucharist. Mm-hmm. I want baptisms. I want these you know, visceral things. I want. I want to smell the incense. Yeah. Right? And, you be, and you get these people coming out of these homes, and they become these 
rabid, you know, high liturgical folks, right? Yeah, yeah. And all it is is, is a hunger to get back in their bodies, yeah. right? Mm. The liturgy their does senses. bring us back to oh, our bodies. It's powerful, oh, yeah. right? That liturgia, right? That sense of the, the movement of the people for the people for God, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's why I think we need to have that reintroduction of what liturgy actually is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think yoga practices are liturgical practices, oh. right? When people are going out for a run and they're experiencing their body moving this way, this can be a liturgical practice, right? Stillness, breathing, presence, sight. Uh, my, my wife's an oil painter, uh, avocationally, and and the the movements of colors and and being attentive to something, paying attention. I mean, Simone Weil, you know, what does it mean yeah. to pay attention? Yeah. Right. I mean, these are things that our bodies were given us for. Yeah. Right? And and we need to use them. They're tools. Damn. Yeah. yeah. This is so good. This is so good. And uh, yeah. Well, um, I I would say, if we're starting to wind down. <laughs> Which is hard to do because I'm so ramped up right now, (laughs) (laughs) this material. Um, You know, Thomas Long in his preaching book talks about form and function. It Mm -hmm. sounds like uh, function is meant to get people to be doing something. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this this idea of thinking of we're asking the questions. And if you're thinking about like what is this moving, like for for your sake in terms of as the person that wrote this book, what is your hope for people? As they process this, yeah. Here, I'm going to hand you your own book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let me, um, I guess I'll, if we're getting to that point, I'll, let me touch on some things that are okay. kind of the next Perfect. steps, right? Oh, yeah, please. So at the end of the book, in my conclusion, I come back to John 9 with the man born blind and kind of oh, use, yeah. an, use an example of of his, you know, his moment of affirmation of... Uh, you know, he's being interrogated. He's at, being asked a lot of Is questions. Is this the, like, with the mud on his face? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's man-born blind. Uh, Jesus comes up, you know, spits in mud, rubs it on his face, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he gets healed, and then Jesus goes away. Mm-hmm. And then in John chapter 9, we have the longest pass. I mean, the... The, the chapter of John in John 9 is the longest portion of our gospel where Jesus isn't there. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's more than 30 It's that verses. whole, like, people debating what happened. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so huh. the, Fer- oh, the, Fer- right. the yeah. Pharisees are like, okay, what happened to you? Who did this to you? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know who yeah. did this, right? He has no idea. I mean, he yeah. literally was, like, swooped down, somebody rubbed mud on his face, right? And then he said, well, let's go ask, my, let's go ask his parents, right? So they asked his parents. His parents like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who he is, you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So his parents are denying him. Pharisees are interrogating him, and then it becomes this really important moment where he just turns to them and, and he says, look, I was blind, and now I see. Hmm. That's all I know, mm-hmm. right? And that gets lifted up in our scripture is that's an affirmation of faith. No sinner's prayer, no need to come to an altar. I mean, he, had a, he knew enough, yeah. right? And then Jesus shows up at the end, right? And there's a sense, oh, it's you. Right, and he falls at his feet, and it's this beautiful scene. But what I love about that scene is kind of ending it, and this is where I'll get to some things I think takeaway things mm-hmm. is part of what asking questions is understanding you can get to a place where you'll know enough, but not everything, hmm. and none of us ever will. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that one of the the great moments of wisdom that I came into in my life was realizing I will never know everything about anybody. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, yourself. I mean, I've been married for 20, yeah. 22 yeah, years and I, and I don't know everything about my wife and I never will. Mm-hmm. Right. There are corners of us that are absolutely, infa- you know, you can't fathom them. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Similar with God, similar with creation, you won't know everything. But you know enough yeah. to make some decisions yeah. to move forward, right? And questions get us to the I know enough, right? Mm. So similarly, I mean, to fall in love, do you know enough to move forward on that? You know, why do you keep waiting? Why are you waiting for, oh, I need to know more? Mm. No, you don't. 
you know enough. <laughs> you're just a coward, or maybe you, or maybe you just don't know what to do, or maybe yeah. you're scared, or maybe your heart's been broken so much. Yeah. That's the question you need to answer. Yeah. Not about, I need to know more, hmm. right? So this drive for totalization and certainty keeps us alone, keeps us isolated. So in the, at the end of the chapter, one of the things I do is I give a list of some things they're just kind of statements or affirmations. I, is it okay if I read these? Please. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so at the end of the book, I, and this is uh, from my friend Daniel Taylor. He has this book called The Skeptical Believer, and, and I've kind of paraphrased some of the parts of this. And so these are 10 assertions that I think are helpful mm-hmm. to move forward. Nice. And then I'll give you some next things. So okay. great, great. So first, asking questions is more compatible with faith than certainty is. Mm. Mm. Second, like tolerance, doubt is not in itself automatically a good or bad thing. Sometimes doubt shows you shows that you can take truth seriously enough to dig deeper. That's one of the things I say in the book is about doubt, is that doubt actually means you take things seriously. Right. Third, yeah. uh, God is okay with our questions, and God also asks questions of us. Hmm. Fourth, all explanations of the world are limited, whether constructed by presupp- from presuppositions, logical reasoning, or weighing and assessing the strength and significance of evidence. There's always going to be more to discover. Hmm. Everything's limited. Five, the most important decisions in life and the actions that flow from them are made in light of imperfect knowledge. Every relationship begins with knowing enough rather than knowing everything. Six, the life of faith is compatible with doubt and intense questioning. It is not compatible with paralysis, indifference, and, or self-indulgence. Seven, wow. religious faith can be defended rationally, but its truthfulness cannot be proved within human rationality. The same is true for secular faiths in reason, science, political or social movements, etc. Anything that's lift, anything that's limited to just human beings is going to let us down. Mm. Ooh. Happens all the time. Yeah. Every utopia will let you down. This is yeah. why why novels are all about dystopias, right? Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Eight. A number of people can end up with soul weariness from staying too long in questions. Hmm. And so this is a kind of a statement uh, that, about this, is that soul weariness is the condition that results from being hyper-reflective about something of great value with no definitive way of coming to a certain conclusion hmm. and no requirement to do so. Yeah. Moving your questions into relationships, sharing them with close friends, helps to avoid seasons of soul weariness. Oh. So Ooh. I'm going to follow on that one. I, had yes. a friend, I, I was going through a really hard period of time, and I was over at a friend's house, and he was working on his basement, and he was doing some work on it, and I was just going on and on about this and this and this, and he goes, Jeff, come downstairs. So he came downstairs. He goes, pick that up. And it was a sledgehammer. He goes, just go beat on some concrete for a while, and then we'll talk after we're done. Yeah. So two and a half hours, Wow. Right? we're pounding the heck out of this stuff. And he said, well, what, what, you know, let's, let's talk more. I go, I don't feel like it right now. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, and and I think sometimes we need to snap out of it, not to ignore the potency of asking questions, mm. but we can also allow ourselves to be in a labyrinth with no string to get us back out again. Mm. And that's what soul awareness is. Mm. It, it's not that's not that's not good doubt. That becomes that becomes a, a, that brings us to a sickness under death. It's Kierkegaardian, which I talked yeah. about earlier in the book. But so that's also you getting back in your body. That's that right. Too. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. So nine. We should be realistic about what kinds of an- what kind of answers to expect from certain types of questions. Mm. Different questions elicit different categories of answers. And as you've journeyed through, lived the questions in the book, you saw how different questions brought about different insights. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that questions are a spiritual discipline. When, yeah, we, ask, yeah. when we ask the wrong questions, we're going to get the wrong answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this mm-hmm. is why the questions that Scripture asks us rehumanize us. 
they humble us. They bring us to transcendence and wonder. They allow space for art and love and all these kind of things. Um, and, and that's why I think it's important to ask the right ones. Ten. Woo. This is my last one on this one. It's not a matter of choosing between exercising faith or not exercising faith in this life. It's only a question of what you will put your faith in, and faith is ultimately a love story. So to quote Bob Dylan, you, you got to serve somebody. Yep. So you better be considerate, thoughtful, and intentional about what and who you love. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I think is also really Ooh. important is yes. that, that and this is, I, I get emotional when I talk about this part, but I see a lot of people who allow themselves to be loved <laughs> and to love, Pat, you know, kind of, kind of in, in the wrong way. Yeah. Right, or they allow people into their lives. Um, they they allow people in their lives that are hurt them. They're going to toxic. Yeah, and because of their fear of loneliness, they want to stay in those relationships. Yeah, and they don't have a way to get out of them. Yes, I mean, I oftentimes I'll tell my students, I say, maybe your question isn't you. Maybe the question is your friends. Mm. Maybe you just need new friends right now. Yeah, right. We are, we are constructed by constellations of relationships. This is who we are. We're, we're, we're some of the most malleable things in the whole universe of human mm. beings. It's in the scriptures. Mm. This is the thing that makes us so unique in all of creation is our malleability. Mm. We have the capacity, unlike anything else, to become inhumane. We can become something other than we were created to be. Mm. I mean, trees are trees. Dogs are dogs. You know, horses are horses. Human beings can kill just to kill. Mm. You know, we can hate just to hate. Mm. Yeah. You know, we can, but also, we can do unbelievable acts of charity and wonder that go against our biological nature. And this is why... You know, kind of social Darwinism, I do have deep problems with it mm. because as a construct, it doesn't really play, pay out. I mean, you look, the, people still do good when they don't have to. Yeah. It doesn't do anything for their progeny. It doesn't do anything for their pocketbook and they still do good. Yeah. yeah. Right. And why is that? You know, what, what's the point? Right. It doesn't help me. So, so there's something about that that I get in there. That's why it's a love story. In the end, the part that we, and this gets back to an earlier conversation we had just as we started this podcast mm-hmm. about pop music, <laughs> is Full circle. It, in the end, it becomes a love story. What does it mean to allow you to love me? Yeah. To really experience the fact that I am loved by you. Yeah. That, that you hold my heart in your hand and we can walk forward in this life together. When you have moments and glimpses like that, that's what our life is going to be. That's going to be our eulogy. Yeah. These are the things you are remembering right now when I ask you to say, what are the things you remember about being alive? Mm-hmm. And each one of them in one way, shape, or form is a moment where you were loved. And you return that love to another human being. Yeah. And you did it without any type of wanting anything back. Mm-hmm. This is the moment when I held my daughter for the first time. This is the moment when I met my wife and I knew that it was real. This is the best friends in my life, just enjoying life together. This is us being at a hike and watching a thing that I know I'm going to share this memory with them for years. This is what life is about. And without good questions, we can't find them and we get lost, right? <laughs> yeah. So. I imagine your writing process is um, fairly... Uh, energetic. I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel like it, it's less about uh, it's more about editing for you than actually getting oh, words yeah. on paper, right? <laughs> I, I, have, I have great I have great editors in my yeah. life. Believe yeah. me, because it's it's yeah definitely necessary. Yeah. That's amazing. This has been such a good conversation. I know. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any last things to to share um, as we wrap? Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think maybe two things. I'll, yeah, I'll, please, I'll do. I'll, I still do two things. I think that. One thing is, you know, part of the trajectory of this, and my hope, you asked me earlier what a hope is, mm-hmm. and I gave you some assertions mm-hmm. that I put in there. But my hope is, and, and the book isn't about that. I mean, the, the, you know, if, if you want to get the book and read the book, I would love that, and I'd love to be in conversation assertions. with any of your listeners. The book is not about assertions. Well, well, well just, I mean, yeah. just even the questions. I, if you get the book and you want to talk to me, I'd love for you to email me, talk to Great. me, and, and follow up with your listeners yeah. in that way, too. Um, 
But but the main thing is is these two things. One is find a space and a place for you to ask the deepest questions you've never had a place to ask, and do it sometime. Hmm. Set yourself set Ooh. yourself an agenda yeah. in the next week or two to get down with yourself and ask what are the things I'm not asking aloud right now and mm. why. Yeah. Oh, you know, seems. You know, and what is that? Daunting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do that, and then go through your list and think about people in your life where you could begin that journey. Hmm. Hmm. You know, and do it in small incremental ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about the ministry of, of Jesus is that Jesus requires everything of us, but not today. Hmm. Oh, what a good you line. Know, you know, but but each day yeah. we can move the dial a notch. Yeah. And so I think each question we ask can move that dial. Yeah, yeah. You know. Because um, so much, I mean, and this is, again, a thing I talk about in the book, is that by asking good questions, we come to the realization that the human life is more about excavation than it is about accumulation. Mm. We think that so much of it is about more experiences, more yeah. input, more data, more people. Yeah. And, and that it's, 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 that's, what, that's, again, burdens we put on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's more about excavation. It digs the stuff out to make space for God, the self. for love, yeah. for wonder. And it, it, it's, it's, you know, Maria Kondo, man, it's, it's, it's like it's not sparking joy. I'm getting out of my life, right? It's, it's like, you know, it's clearing out the soul. So I think find people you can do excavation work with. Yeah. So well, those would be my two challenges. Yeah. Know, a- find the questions you haven't asked and ask yourself why. Yeah. And then find some companions for the journey to do so. Yeah. If we do that, what a great place to be alive. True. Like there's about like 30 good sermons packed into <laughs> an hour and 20 minutes here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, this has been the best. I feel like this Thank is, you uh, so much. What I'm about to say is very yeah. like NPR-ish. Our guest has been Jeff Cuse, Dr. <laughs> Jeff Cuse. He, he wrote a book called Live the Questions. <laughs> no, but uh, it is Live the Questions. It is a book that is out now. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're listening to this, we highly recommend it. Um, and I guess you can also follow Jeff on Instagram. Get tethered to Jeff's yeah, <laughs> yeah, follow me on Instagram. Yeah, I'll <laughs> post pictures of albums I'm listening to. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and email him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Questions? Ping me an email. Find me at Seattle Pacific yeah. University. Yeah. Um, you can find me on the faculty webpage. I love talking to people. I've had really great conversations with people across the country with the book. And, and that's what it's about. It's creating more conversations. Mm-hmm. I want to have companions for this journey. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We really, so really appreciate you being here. Yeah, we this really is so do. so fun. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. Okay, next week, I think, is an Enneagram episode. Mm-hmm. We talk about the Enneagram here. So awesome. we'll see you next week, everybody. All right.